So we celebrate Mother's Day, um, you know, really, like, why do we give it? We're a church, right? It's, it's not, a, it's not a, a, a Christian holiday. But we celebrate it because, as Michelle said, like, we find out more who God is uh, through mothers. Like, God created women to express part of who he is and what he is and how he cares for us. And I was thinking of my mom uh, last night. And, and when I was a kid, a young boy, it just seemed like she had this superpower, that, it, that if I could go to her, if I was upset or needed something, she would always say just the right thing, and I would feel better. And, and then I was like, now, wait a minute. It's still true. When I call her now, and, and she, she still has the superpower, and, and I still hear that from her. And so um, I was thinking of this poem, and it's from the perspective of a young child um, towards his mother. He says, when God created mothers, uh, all as lovely as can be, he made one extra special and saved her just for me. So there you go. You say aw? Aw. There we go. Thanks. All right. Okay. So uh, today we are in part two of uh, a series, Real Love, Real Life, following Easter. Following up on, it really has to do with what real love, real life is. But it's, it's dialing in on, you know, what really happens in this thing we call salvation What really happens in real life, street level, when God works in somebody's life? Uh, It's important because otherwise it's just ideas and theory and it just floats around. But we want to know what's really happening. So last week we focused on real love and we looked at this idea how we all have this longing for more, for more love, for more real life. And, but in reality, it's, it's lacking. And so, what we looked at, we, we looked at the Old Testament and how we were all made for God. Like God made us in his image so that we would always know, like we would reference him when we thought of ourselves, And we would say, I'm the beloved child of God and I reflect his image. I'm like a mirror that, that people look and they see what God is like. And people, other people were made that way too. Uh, and, but the problem is, is that we... All people traded for a different glory. We traded for a different image, and and it was a self-image, a false image. So we began to self-reference. In other words, when we thought of ourselves, who am I? We referenced our own understanding rather than God's. And when we looked at other people, instead of saying, oh, there's, I know that, that's the family resemblance, that's God's child, beloved, we then would pull a whole nother reference together. And then we looked at how God's love comes in and and changes that whole story. He brings us full circle. So now we again can be children of God, always beloved, but we can participate now. And that reference point is changed again. But then what what works out in real life is, is that God comes to us and he loves us and he's just relentless after it. He's relentless. I mean, just he comes to us and just loves us and loves us and loves us. You know, one preacher called the Holy Spirit the hound of heaven. You know, if you've ever had, you know, like you're walking through the neighborhood and just there's this dog that just will not leave you alone. That's God for you. He just is relentless about coming after you. He's not offended by your rejection. He just loves you that much, and so he comes after you. Um, But what happens is, is, is this, is is we actually, uh, this is a picture of what happens, is in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image 
with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so this can be translated like from glory to glory. So our glory, our self-reference, our false image, our false self is now being traded for that image of God again. So that's what actually happens. But it's real love that works in us. It changes me, and it it brings about a a different humanity. It brings about a different humanity together that, that is lived out amongst people. A lot of the times, the problem is, is that we leave it just at that. Got it. I understand. But then real life happens. So that's what we're going to look at today. Let's pray together and invite God's presence. Lord, we thank you for um, being here. We thank you that as we sang to you this morning, that you responded with your presence. And God, we ask that you would come and teach, that you would do what only you can do, which is to speak to every person. Uh, We ask that you would do what only you could do, which is to um, speak in a way that each understands you. And so, Holy Spirit, come and, and, and have your way with us that we might hear from you, that we might know you more this morning, not about you, God, but really know you to come face to face with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start with a problem as we go into this. Um, The problem is this, is that... There's an erroneous teaching, and I've done it, okay? Um, not for a while, but because it's out there, and then I heard it, and then I, okay? Is that Christians have been taught that they're better than everybody else. Christians have been taught that they're happier than everybody else. Christians have been taught that uh, they are more spiritual than everybody else. Christians have been taught that they're more generous than everybody else. And here's the problem. It's not true. Because when I heard that, when I was a new Christian, and they said, look, people aren't happy unless they know Jesus. So I would walk up to people, and that would be the vein. I'm like, look, listen, you're not, fine, you don't disagree, but listen, you're not happy, I know it. I'm like, no, I'm pretty happy. (laughs) And I'm like, no, you're really not. And I'm like, this isn't working, okay? And then, um, you know, and then I discuss with people that that had a spirituality, and and I was like, well, you're not spirit, you know, and I would totally negate their spirituality. And here's the problem with that, is that you really, like, number one, you push against, like, you know, hey, you stink at what you're doing, right? That's not a great way to start. Also, two, you negate God's work in their life, right? God just doesn't work through Christianity or in the church, if he's God, he's working all over the place, right? And, and if somebody is even learning some truth about God, but it's not in the package of Christianity or church, isn't God's fingerprints all over that? And he's leading these breadcrumbs to Jesus. And so it's just not true. That's the problem is that Christians just are not better than everybody else. That's the wrong thing to focus on. Uh, and yet, that's what people hear, that's what we do, and it affects us in a bad way, right? Because then we're like, well, I gotta, if I'm better than everybody else, then I gotta show them, right? And, and that just creates this whole toxic environment that it was so unlike the environment that Jesus had. Um, so what's the difference? What makes Christians different from anybody else? And this takes just a smidge of humility. The difference is Jesus Christ. That's it. The difference between a Christian and anybody else is Jesus Christ. It's not because I've become more of this. Or it's because of Jesus. And, uh, you know, it's like the, it's like the Kentucky Derby uh, last week. Uh, 
uh, you know, last Saturday, I don't know, I, I don't bet on race horsing and stuff. If you want tips, I won't be able to give them to you. But, but I follow interesting things. And the Kentucky Derby, by far the, the most popular race. And uh, what happened in that race was that uh, the winner won. Uh, but then there was a protest and they reviewed it. And they decided that the winner didn't win. And the second place winner won. And everybody wanted the winner to win. But they did something that broke the rules. So not only did the second place horse win, uh, what made it worse is that horse has never won a race. And it was 65 to 1 odds to actually win the thing. And so somebody's happy, like that one guy that said, hey, I'm going to do this. But you guys, that's like you and I. Never won a race, never pulled it together, never. And so it's by a decision that we're made right with God, with, with Jesus. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like this too, is you decide to follow in Jesus. Uh, it's, you ever seen those, those stories pop up? If you follow stocks or investing, that sort of thing, it's, it'll say like, if you had invested $1,000 in this company in 1997, you would have, and then, all right, you got me. What, 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 what would I have been really brilliant if I had done? And I love to look at those things because the reality is, is that you invest money, right? Because you look and say, this is a good company or your brother told you to do it or whatever. And then what happens is, is that you think maybe it's the next Apple or Amazon or Google, right? And I, I, I'm going to invest now and it's going to be that thing. Now, that's wonderful if you could just know, but you don't. And the problem is, is that you've got all these ups and downs, and the ups and downs mess with our emotions. And so what people do is, and the reason those stories are so intriguing, if you had invested $1,000 in Apple in 1997, this is how much money you'd have now. They're so intriguing is because most people don't do it. And so it's the fear of missing out or the realization of missing out that if I had just done that, and that's me. I had like one of those, I'm like, oh, wow, I could have. So that's what people look at when they look at Christians. We have this belief that we've invested in the greatest investment of all time. And it turns out the best that anything could possibly turn out, right? God's reality is, is that there's no more hatred. There's no more fear. There's no more pain. There's no more tears. There's no more murder. There's no more of the things that we do to each other. The lion lays down with the lamb everything as God intended. That's the investment that you make when you decide to follow Jesus. Now, the problem is, as you look, there's lots of ups and downs in this life. And as people look, they see the ups and downs and they're like, ah, I don't, I don't want that. So there's the messy middle that we're in. Theologians call it the already but the not yet of the kingdom of God. See, what you have happening is, is you have the plane of this life where God has definitely intervened, but then you have the kingdom of God. And what happens is the kingdom of God, you have like two trains going parallel to each other. And right now what you have is the kingdom of God will break in at certain times. It's here, but not in its fullness yet. So it's messy. And that's the problem, is people look at Christians and they say, you say that this has happened, you say these things, but why is it still such a mess? We're going somewhere, but it's going to be messy in the meantime. 
And so what do we need to look at? So if, if it's not perfection, I, I'm sorry, okay? Um, except for the moms. You guys are all perfect today, okay? Um, if, if it's not that I am better than everybody else, if that's not what, what, what's happening, then, then what is happening? And it's what Jesus is doing in our lives. He's leading us in knowing and loving God and other people. And so um, here's what we see, is that Jesus gives us the glory we were created for. Uh, in John 17, verse 22, it says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, and as we are one. So this is Jesus talking to his dad. And look at the, look at the wording. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Whoa. So, and again, we, we like to look at this and say, well, we've arrived. Listen, the work of the Christian, the battle that you have, is to more and more believe that you already are where you're going. See, that's it. The New Testament speaks of, well, uh, if you're this, then you don't sin anymore. If you're this, you don't do this anymore. If you're this, and you're like, well, I do. I do do that. You know, and even Paul says, you know, the things I don't want to do, I do. And, you know, so there's this big mess, right? The New Testament declares that you're a new creation and all things are new. But even that, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. You look at it and you're like, man, God messed up again, right? I mean, I look around and I look and there's this smudged mirror and I'm looking for my reflection and it's still not totally there. And then two, like, boy, far from one, aren't we? Right? We just think that it arrives because we have very little patience. And we don't want to be emotionally involved. We don't want the ups and downs. We just want it there. But God is working his plan and his process. And his glory is that we would be the way God intended us to be. Beloved children reflecting God's glory. That's what he's doing within us. Now, also, too, through relationship, God also builds us up in knowing him. So it's a work. This passage in Ephesians actually speaks of my job description. It says God has given pastors and prophets and and all these people to be able to do this, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So that's my job, is I'm supposed to equip you guys for works of service. So in other words, that, that what God is pouring into you, into your life, now that flows out to other people. As he loves you, his love is flowing out from you into other people. That the body of Christ may be built up. And then look, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, that's the key point, the knowledge of the Son of God. Because lots of people know things about Jesus. They could tell, you know, you ask somebody, well, what do you think of Jesus? And they could tell you they watched a documentary, or they could tell you what they heard at church, or they could tell you what they read through the Bible. But this is not speaking of cognitive knowledge. It's not speaking of facts that just anybody could learn, but it's actually speaking of being built up in actually experiential knowledge. Experiential knowledge of actually experiencing the person of Jesus. So it's not about religious activity. Um, 
you know, I, I read recently a pastor, and, and I'm not, just so you know, I'm not making, uh, I'm not making light of his struggle, but um, there was a pastor that decided he was a Christian for 20 years, then he was a pastor for 20 years, 40 years of following Jesus or in the Christian church, and, and he, he said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with my marriage. I'm done being a pastor. I'm done with the faith. And he laid out in the, in the interview, he just said, look, I, I got to the point where I, I, I memorized 18 full books of the Bible. I did this. I did this. I, and he goes, the system is flawed. And I would agree, you know, Christianity will not save you. Christianity doesn't make you right with God. Only Jesus does, the person of Jesus. But all throughout, he didn't mention Jesus once. So I'm not, again, I just want to be real careful. I'm not making, but, so it was very obvious that he was following a religion or it had gotten to that point. And listen, yeah, I, I'd get there too. But it's experiential with Jesus that makes the difference. It's, it's totally different. And so, so what God loves to do is he loves to point out things like this in our lives. You see, Jesus came on the scene, and in the religious, the people that were supposed to know God more than anybody else, uh, this is what Jesus said to him. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Right? He's saying like, look, you guys are sitting there like going over this thing and, and you, you want to say you know better than anybody else and you know God's word. But listen, you're missing it completely. You've read it backwards and forwards, but you've missed me. I am life. And so that's what Jesus is saying. And it's interesting. I, I, never, I, I never had walked into a church before I was 15 years old and, and I wasn't... Uh, uh, I, my family was non-religious, really. I had a belief in God, but uh, and it wasn't really around religion. And, and so, uh, but when I came to know Jesus, I met people like these guys. And, and I just knew. I said, I said, you're not right, you know? But they could, they could talk over me backwards and forwards with this Bible, and this is how you do it, and this is what you do, and you don't know this. And I still meet people like that. And I just knew, I remember this one guy, I was working at a, a job, and, and this, I told him, I said, I've given my life to Jesus. I'm so excited. And he says to me, he goes, well, let's see if you've really given your life to Jesus. Do you know the Lord's Prayer? I'm like, no, but it sounds good. Tell me about it. You know? Just so like, I'm like I, I didn't know he had a prayer. Man, I, there's so much to learn. And, and he went through it, and, I, and he goes, you don't know Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, I think I do. I think I do. And, um, and as I met people, it was just kind of this whole other thing. In other words, it was about cognitive knowledge versus experiential. And so God loves to uh, restore his life, his glory in us. And um, there was this kid, uh, teenager in San Diego where we were living in this neighborhood, and, and he had this beat-up old car. It was like one of the, a car from the 50s. And you just kind of sit in the driveway. And you drive by and you just say, man, that, that's an ugly looking car. But then all of a sudden, this kid's working on it. Moves it from the driveway, moves it into the garage. The garage is open. And then and we, Michelle and I would walk. And, and um, I have this propensity to talk to people. And so uh, I'd come by and, and, and I'd say, hey, look, wow, you, you, you did the, the bumper. That's amazing. 
Good job. And then next, wow, you did the hood. That's amazing. Good job. Wow, you've done the engine now. And, you know, it's still ugly, but, I mean, it looks like it would do something now. And then all of a sudden, he just painted it this beautiful green. And I'm like, wow, this is, but I've never seen it drive yet, right? And then then all of a sudden, the kid drives by. I'm like, look at you. That's like what God does in our lives. See, we look at this mess, and we're like, well, what is that? And But then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, look at that. Look at what's happening here, and um, I know God's hand in my own life. You know, I, I met Jesus when I was 15, but uh, I was cool, like, with the surface-level stuff. I had a lot to clean up, okay, um, and still do. And, uh, but I, 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 it was kind of like surface-level. I still wanted to do what I wanted to do, Okay. It was kind of like, hey, I'll let this much Jesus in my life, but like that, that's like for when I'm, you know, old and married and have kids and stuff, I'll be that way. You know, I think somehow it says that like in some other book somewhere. So I kind of would play these games with God. And, and what it ended up doing is that I hardened my heart some to the point that um, I didn't stop believing or those things, but I just said, you know, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of run ahead a little bit, Lord, and I'll see you in a bit. And, and um, it, was a, it was a really hard time because God would somehow be wherever I went and show up at all sorts of different places. And, and when I'm doing different things, and he would just show up. And he loved me that way. And, uh, you know, then I was around my, uh, my friends that, uh, you know, in high school, my brother and others, we'd pray for them to come to know Jesus. So in the process of me being a knucklehead working on my testimony uh, more, um, my brother and all these people came to know Jesus. And so now they were praying for me, like, you know, what's wrong with Cody? What's he doing? And so my late teens, early 20s, I ended up coming back to, you know, I'm going to cooperate now. I'm going to cooperate with you, Lord. And, and I remember I was sitting in my room, and I'd always experienced God's presence very heavily. Um, but it was more just, I just kind of let it go surface level. And I remember I said, God, why don't I just sense your presence the way, you know, like, in other words, why aren't I like that kid with the car driving again? And, and, but that's the first time I really heard, like, God's voice strongly in my knower, and, and it was this. It says, no, you're going to commit to me now. You're going to commit to me now. And then, like, a week later, I was with these friends that had come to know Jesus, and uh, they were praying for me, and they, said, they, they told me this thing. They said, look, uh, you know, this is how you're going to walk through this, and it has to do with commitment. It has to do with obeying. And so now it went beyond that surface level to something much deeper. And so this is where we get into loving God. Because I knew I had this experience with God, but now how do I be in a loving relationship with God? How do I walk this out with him? And we first receive God's love. That's, that's first and foremost, we have to receive. And it's not something, it's, 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 it needs to be in the perfect tense. In other words, that it's ongoing. We, we just continually receive his love. I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to keep receiving his love. If we stop, we get to a place where we take control altogether. So John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his, that he gave his only one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, God loves you just extravagantly, creatively. Uh, he's attentive to you. He's affectionate to you. Uh, no matter what you do with him. Okay? 
whether you, what you believe about him, uh, whatever is happening, God loves you that way. He's doing it. The question is, will you recognize it? Will you enjoy it? And the way that we do that is you can say that he loves you in all sorts of ways, but this is the way that he's chosen that you would recognize that love. In the way that he chose to love us in a way that there be no ring, you know, no wrangle room, no, no, no room to move there. This is how I've loved you. I want you to see this. Now, we love God when we love him for himself alone. Uh, this passage here, it's not up here, but, uh, you know, Peter was one of the first followers of Jesus. And, um, you know, I, I like Peter because, you know, he, he messed up for a bit too after he knew Jesus. His time was shorter. Uh, um, I, you know, mine was a little bit longer. But he uh, denied Jesus in, in front of everybody. And even though he said, Jesus, I, listen, I, I will never deny you, even though everybody else does. I will die for you. And just you know, hours later, uh, don't know the guy, uh, you know, and he's swearing and you know, just like, I don't know that stinking guy, whatever. Uh, I, don't, I don't want anything to do with him. And so then what happens is, is that uh, Jesus does this thing. Uh, he rises from the grave. He's arrested. He's beaten. He dies on a cross. And he defeats death itself. And so he comes back, and he's hanging out with his disciples. They've, they're fishing, and they're sitting there after they eat. And then Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And the word he uses is, um, he uses the word agapeo. And so, in other words, you've heard of agape, like unconditional love. And Peter says, Peter says, Lord, you know that I phileo you more than these. In other words, you know that I have brotherly love for you. And then Jesus says, you know, do you love me? More? You know, and then he says, you know, do you love me more? In other words, agapeo. And then he's like, and then he, you know that I phileo you. You know that I have brotherly love for you. And then, and then he tells him the third time, and then in the midst he's telling him stuff like, feed my sheep. And it's kind of, it's hard to know totally what was going on, like what is these and that. Um, but we know that Jesus is sticking his finger in his chest. He's like, look, don't play games. Don't play games with me. What's really going on? Where's your heart really? And then finally Jesus says the third time, he says, Peter, do you phileo me? Like, in other words, do you, do you brotherly love me? You're saying it and everything, but do you really brotherly love me? And it says that, G, that Peter was insulted the third time because he asked that third time. And he's like, you know that I flee. And so, so, in other words, what Jesus was saying was, you know, if there's anything in our lives, if there's any trappings or if there's anything, even in the things that God can do for us, you know, Jesus is powerful, there's nothing that he can't do. There's nothing that he can't do in your life. There's nothing that he can't set you free from. There's nothing that he can't do. And not only that is he God, but he also was the manliest man that ever lived. I mean, Jesus was gnarly. I mean, people think, I mean, he was tough. You think you're tough? I mean, Jesus laid down his, he wasn't a victim. He laid down his life. He went to the cross he told it ahead of time and said, this is what I'm going to do. And he rescued the entire world, savior of the world. That's Jesus. And so 
he can do all sorts of things, but anytime that there's something else there, like if it's just what he can do for us or all sorts of things, we're not really loving him. We're loving the things that he can do for us. You know, I mean, it's like if I told you, you know, hey, so um, do you love your wife? Yeah, I, I, I love that she helps me. I love that she does. Like, and it's just about me, right? It's, I mean, it, it's just, that's, that's a little off. And it's hard because we're so messed up. Like, we need him so much. And so we can get to this place where we're just like, well, wait a minute, what are you telling me? It's like, I need him to help me. So I'm not saying ask, stop asking, but there's this place where it's like he's not an idea. He's not a genie that I just rub and get what I want. He's not a magic, you know, rabbit that I pull out and does this, but he's a person. And I experience him and I love him and I receive love from him and I, and I get to know him. And so, so, you know, how do I do that? Like, how do we, how do we love God? This isn't me, this is him. So if you have a problem, because, you know, people have a problem with this word, obey. But this is what Jesus says. Like, he's sharing his love language with you. We love God when we obey God. So he says, if you love me, keep my commands. In other words, obey. Uh, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. There's a whole lot of loving going on there when you obey. I don't know if you noticed that. You know, he whoever has my commands and keeps them or obeys them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And so we love God by, by obeying him. And so it can be like a bad word, like, you know, gosh, I, I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to obey. And, but, but think about this. Think about obeying as, um, you know, God says, hey, let's go for a walk. Right? You ever have somebody really important say, hey, come with me. I'm in. Or you remember uh, when you're a teenager and your friend got his driver's license and he rolls over in his car and he's got the music on and we're just where are we going? It doesn't matter. We're, we're just driving and you know and there's two friends and where are you? Like I got shotgun, right? I'm sitting. I'm sitting next to you. You, you drive. That's obeying you guys. Obeying is going with God. Obeying is keeping in step with Him. And so you're joining him in what he's doing. That is what obeying is. And so that's how we show our love for him. And, but the problem is, though, is that we struggle with this some because we're good with the idea of salvation. We're good with this idea of, uh, you know, um, all right, cool. Yeah, everything's going to turn out good. And I get some benefits now. We're okay with that. But it's surface level. It's surface level, and that's, I think that's why, for me, I bought all of that, but then that was the surface. Now, the problem is, is that if we're a neighborhood, we're saying to Jesus, hey, uh, why don't you come in and do like a trash pickup day? And in other words, like, and then why don't you kind of, so take some of the bad stuff, and then, listen, could you plant some nice flowers right over there in the neighborhood, kind of liven it up, a little bit of color? Beautiful. In other words, let me, let me stop doing some bad things and then let me start doing some things that have virtue and value. Cool, that's good. I'm, I'm, me and Jesus, 
Jesus is just all right with me. Now, the problem is, is that what Jesus really knows is going on is there's a chemical waste dump in our neighborhood. That's our true life. We want him just to do things on the surface, but then there's things much deeper on the inside. And so this is what Jesus says. He says that obedience is a path. So whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And this is not like an add-on package. Like the disciple thing. It's not, well, I don't know that I'm a disciple. I'm like in the getting saved thing. This is it. This is Jesus' language. If you want to be a disciple, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. So the question is, is will you allow yourself to be crucified with Christ? Will you allow, because we like the idea of all things, all the old things are gone and all the new things have come. But how does that happen, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Everybody wants the benefits of knowing God and being with him, but nobody wants that because, yes, God does it for you. Yes, God has done everything. It's, it's greased. It's good. The rails are greased. But there's a response from us, and that response is, will I die to myself? Because Christianity, there's much better religions if you just want to play around the surface. But true Christianity is about dying to self. And that's why if I set out to just play the games and follow the rules and those things, it will create just a death in me. Where I'm just playing games with morality, and I will stink, and everyone around me will know that I stink. And I'll spend more time trying to look like I know Jesus instead of knowing Jesus. See, that's the problem. When we think that we're better than everybody else because we're Christians— We spend time, that's what I have to live up to. But all of our focus, our time is, I just want to know Jesus. I just want to know him. And so that's what my effort goes into. And so so what does this look like? Well, here's the good news and the bad news, is that there there is a venue for this, and it's in real life, and it's with other people. You know, I think, you know, I've heard that thing where it's like, Lord, thank you that I haven't done anything wrong today. Thank you that I've gotten along with everybody. Thank you that everything's going good. Thank you that I've been holy so far today. And as I get out of bed, uh, just, you know, go ahead and go with me, right? People are the venue that we live out this relationship with God. So the first way that we actually die to ourselves and we actually do this is through knowing and loving others in real life. So we need to practice attentive curiosity with other people. This is how we know people right? Uh, Unfortunately, our brains, we give it information, and when we see somebody, it's so that we don't have to work so hard. When we see somebody, we put them into a category, and we just say, they're that, they're that, they're that, you're that, okay? And we don't want to work hard. Unfortunately, the way of Jesus, the dying to ourselves, takes much more effort. And so when he says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, um, where it says, but to serve... Uh, it's, the word can be translated servant different ways, but I love this one. It says attendant. If you've ever gone to a nice hotel or, or you, you go to a restaurant and you have your attendant, what, what does an attendant do? They attend to your needs curiously. 
And so if we want to know people in the way of Jesus, we have, we're, we're curious about how we can attend to people's needs. Now, this isn't everybody. Seven point, what did you say? Seven point, seven point six billion people? It's, it's the people in your circle. You attentively are curious about their needs. That's how it starts. And then two, tell the truth. If Christians would spend a lot more time telling the truth instead of trying to look like they know Jesus and trying to cover things up and trying to look right and like they have it all together, lots more things good would happen. And I realize that's bad grammar, but you get what I'm saying. James 5, James is the brother of Jesus, okay? And so James said this, and in this chapter 5, he says things like, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So in other words, live in the truth. And then he says this, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so here's the thing. The reason I chose this verse out of that, that passage is this, is that, I mean, look at that. I mean, just think through your head. Don't tell me. But I mean, how many times have you had somebody come to you in the church and confess their sins to you? Like, be honest. And then how many times have you really sought somebody out and confessed your sins to other people? It's somewhat rare. But here's the thing we love to do. We have no problem confessing the sins of other people to other people. That's called gossip. We love to do that. We're like, hey, doesn't it say, like, therefore confess other people's sins to each other and, you know, do that? No, it's not really what it says. So tell the truth. Live in truth. Don't hide anything. Remember, this whole thing is, is about not hiding from God. It, the whole, this whole thing is about living in the truth. And so if we've come to know him, we live in the truth. We don't hide it. See, my goal is to have a lot more sinners in the church. And I don't mean, hey, let's get some people that are really messed up. I mean, we. That we'd be a lot more honest. Because the expectation is not that I have arrived or you have arrived yet. The expectation is is that I'm in the mess of the middle, where I'm being loved and loving him. And so tell the truth. Now, what about loving others? So the way that we treat others reveals our relationship with God. And this is hard. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Such a powerful statement. And Jesus, right before this, had washed the feet of his disciples. So he, he modeled it too, right? He washed the feet of Judas, who would betray him and you know, try to sentence him to death. He washed the feet of Peter, who just didn't get it, right? And he, he went down and served and became the one that loved everybody. So that's how people know is your love for one another. But then he goes in later on. He goes into... Um, uh, in Matthew 25, and we're going to end with this, if, if you can have you guys come back up, um, worship team here. Um, you know, this is what, you know, in Matthew 25, this is what he says to, to people. He says, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. And I'm, I'm taking some liberties here from the passage. But, you know, when, when I needed something, you gave it to me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was without clothes, you clothed me. 
And, and so the response of the people was, is like, well, when did I see you hungry? Or when did I see you in need? Or when did I see you without clothes? And, and he says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. And then he goes through and he says, when I was hungry, you didn't do this, okay? And everybody's shocked. They're like, wait a minute, what, how, how could this be? Jesus is very clear that our, our love, the litmus test of our love is how we treat other people. We would love to just corner God and say, great, I got it, I'm supposed to know God if I just don't have to deal with people. He's forever linked people with him and with us. And so you guys, what will you do now? But the question isn't, well, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do more religious things. The question is, is to deal with the, the question that he asks us. If you desire to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Which means that my life is not my own. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. That's real, authentic Christianity. That's the real life that he works out in us. And you guys, if you try anything else, if you go after anything else, if you go after surface surface level, you'll be frustrated because you'll just be joining a religion. And Christianity was never meant to be a religion. It was meant to be a relationship with, with Christ. Relationship with him. Otherwise, we end up being hypocrites, and then people see that, and and then nobody comes to Jesus, including us, right? We don't just want a transaction with him where it's like, yeah, I've I've done this thing, but we want to be transformed by him. I heard somebody say, you know, I I like Christianity, but I don't know that it's a really good way to be enlightened. An interesting statement. The difference is, is that it's not about that. It's about becoming who you were meant to be, and it's actually about your death. You see, we love the verse where it says, you know, when Jesus rose from the grave, I raised my new life rose from the grave. But guess what? That hints that death happened. It's something that he did. You don't have to do it. He paid for you, but you have to join it. You have to join in. And also, I want you to know, we may not be better than anybody else. We, that's, you know, but here's the thing. Life with Jesus is really good. It's really good, but it's surprising. It's surprising because your target changes. And a lot of the fear I know for me, like as I was walking through that time of like, what, you know, surface level, and I'm trying to run from Jesus. A lot of the fear was is that, that, I, um, that life just wouldn't be good, that it would be boring, that it just, it'd be lame. And I'll tell you what, you guys, true life is truly found in him. And your best design that you can set out if you're designing something today is it's just way down here compared to him. And so what will you do? We lay it down. It's so fun. When you just decide, yeah, I will be crucified with Christ. I will let that lay down. And it's not what we think. 
It's really the door to true life. Let's stand and pray together.